Welcome to the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast, where the goal is to empower and educate you to legally and ethically minimize taxes paid over your lifetime. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Before we jump into episode 21 and the great topic that we have for you today, let's take a brief moment and thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by The Mortgage Shop. Are you looking to qualify for an investment credit loan without jumping through hoops? That's easy. They have loans with LTV up to 89.99%. Exploring their products and discovering how they can work for you is easy. Simply visit mortgage.shop or call 865-325-2566 and tell them TTF sent you. You're used to having two of us, maybe three of us, including a guest on these, but today we actually brought everybody out of the cave at least a couple of us from the Teaching Tax Flow team. Myself, John Trapolsky, we have Nate Hamill with us. Hey, Nate, how are you doing, buddy? Great, how are you, buddy? Good, good. I'm doing fantastic now that we got you all here. And I would say we put them off to the side, but eh, we figured we'd bring them back into it. So, Chris Pakira, how are you, sir? It's great to be back, boys. How are you? Pretty good. We're, we're glad you you joined us on this one to keep us keep us in line. Um, we, we'll call you the chaperone, the, the wiser chaperone. But our topic for today is awesome. So... What do we want to call this thing? What, what, Chris, what do we call passive income generators? What do we call these things? Well, it's kind of like when you wake up in the morning and maybe someone in your household is cooking breakfast and you smell some bacon and you're like, man, that smells good. Uh, so we're going to call a passive income generator in the tax world. It's called a pig. And in honor of uh, National Pig Day, which I believe you said it was March 1st. Yeah, just a couple of days ago. So as as we roll into this, so let's let's actually start this. And and Nate, as always, I mean, you you have a lot of insight with this as well, Chris. You're the you're basically me and Nate rolled in tenfold. You you know everything about the tax world, so we'll kind of let you let you guide us down this path. But I would be misplaced if I didn't give us a rollout, right? Of Chris, why don't you tell us about these pigs and just bring home the bacon, would you? We will bring home the bacon, and uh, we forgot to mention, episode 21, so our podcast can officially sit up to the bar and order a beer. Finally. Now, if you have bacon, John, you know, and I know you're a connoisseur of Bloody Marys, uh, that you that the ba- a bacon goes well on that Bloody Mary. So here's a situation that we run into quite a bit out there. We have a lot of folks that invest in rental properties. In our teaching tax flow world, one of the three laws is understanding the difference between tax flow and cash flow. So we have many, many people in the teaching tax flow community that have a positive cash flow with from their rental property. But from a tax perspective, because of the depreciation deduction, you have a loss. So you're reporting a loss from that property on your tax return. And due to several factors, which include income, um, the amount of time you put in the activity, et cetera, et cetera, uh, those losses are considered passive. So rental losses by default are considered passive. And for many people, maybe the majority of people that invest in real estate, those passive losses cannot offset your W-2 wages or your business income or what we call active income. So those passive losses get stuck, for lack of a better term, on your tax return. Doesn't mean they're gone, but they carry forward to get technical for just a smidge, they carry forward on a form 8582. So if you are sitting around, now if you're driving, pull over, 
And if you feel so um, inspired to open up your form 8582, go do so. But the the problem we have or the challenge is that those passive losses are carrying forward. And the strategy of what we call hunting pigs is to is to allow people to take advantage of those losses and to change the way they invest potentially, um, not completely, but as a as a strategy to get passive income because that passive income will not be taxable if you have a passive loss. Oh, Chris, just to clarify, because I think this one will hit home for a lot of people listening. What you're saying is if I buy the house next door to me and I have to put a lot of work into it and yeah, I get rental income, but ultimately I take a loss on it and my day job is a W-2 employee, those losses in the rental house next door will not offset my W-2 income, correct? In most cases, that's correct. There are some income thresholds and there's some special rules that we have covered in some other podcasts, but in general, you have a that rental property is a passive activity for you. In most, a lot of times those passive losses are carried forward. So you're correct. So the thing is, we love tax-free income. Right. So typically people that have passive activity losses are in the 24% marginal tax rate plus. So if they were to generate income that's not taxable, it's of it's even a larger benefit. And that, that means a pig, passive income generator. Because unfortunately, just like capital loss carry forwards, you can't take your passive activity losses with you if once you decease. They're just lost deductions. So not to switch gears too hard on this too, but taking into account everything that really falls under, you know, passive income generators. So what might be, we can call it, you know, misconceptions or myths or maybe just incorrect way of approaching these. I mean, are, are there a few things that you've seen, you know, over your 175 years of doing this um, that, that may have been, you know, not misappropriated, but talk us through maybe a couple, couple examples I think would be fantastic. If we have any real world examples, you know, we can obviously, you know, redact names in these and addresses and everything else, but just give us some examples where these may or may not have actually helped out somebody's tax situation. If you have any. I know you. Well, let's let's go with an example of a taxpayer. Let's say married taxpayer, W two wages of three hundred thousand dollars. They invest in an apartment complex. That apartment complex has a cost segregation study run. That's another podcast episode. That, you, um, but a cost segregation study performed on it. And let's say this person invested a hundred thousand dollars into this this syndication or this apartment complex. The apartment complex is most likely an LLC and will issue the taxpayer with something called a K-1, just a tax form, showing a tax loss. That tax loss might be $70,000. Now, the, the taxpayer didn't lose $70,000, but that $70,000 loss is a deduction for the taxpayer. It's considered a passive activity for the taxpayer. So even though it's a deduction of $70,000, that doesn't mean that taxpayer can take advantage of that deduction this year. So in this fact pattern, the in, the taxpayer might want to jump into different passive activity um, generators to produce some income. So there are there are a few main passive 
pigs, for lack of a better term, passive income generators. Um, rental real estate is is one of them. So not all rental real estate is going to have a ton of depreciation deduction. For instance, uh, there, there's some there's some triple net leases out there. There's some opportunities to basically get a return on your investment that is considered a rental or passive income for tax purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one, royalties. People invest in music royalties, music royalties, and that's also considered a pig. So if anybody wants to buy the rights to me singing Kumbaya, I'd be happy to happy to offer those up. But um, until then, I want to maintain those. Talk to us a little bit about that one for an example, because I think that's a new opportunity. Nate, I, Nate I'm sure you've come across these in, in your yep. past experience. And Chris, obviously, you know, you living in, in the Nashville area, I'm sure you, you know, have plenty of opportunities with that. Um, but talk us through that a little bit, because that's a that's an interesting concept, right? Of not only just the passive income side or the we'll call it a, a pig op, right? A pig opportunity. Now we're just naming stuff. Um here, piggy piggy. But uh Tell us a little about that. Tell us about these music royalties, either of you. Yeah, Chris, pull this pork apart for me. Yeah, yeah, we love our pork. Oh, technologies. So with the so here's what happens. Musician, there are a lot of there are a lot of different types of I would just stick to music because there's film. Um, there are a lot of different royalties when it comes to a song. Um, there's production, there's writing, there's performing. And what happens is let's say you're a songwriter and you write a song that produces income. Well, if you're the songwriter, that income is considered active income. And if you're self-employed, which most folks are, that's subject to your marginal tax rate and self-employment tax. So your tax on that income is a lot of money. Mm. Well, if you were to sell that royalty, because what what their royalty is, is that's just a stream of income. It's like an annuity based on the amount of times that song is played over several different platforms. So in that case... You might have a songwriter that, let's say they're getting married. Let's say they have a life event. They they want they have a hit song that they want to have an influx of cash for, and they don't like paying forty percent on that income. They can sell the rights to that royalty. And the cool thing is, they change that income. The money they receive from that royalty is a long term, most likely a long term capital gain, taxed at half to a third of the rate they were paying. Right royalty. Yeah. Now put the hand on of the investor. That's you royalty just like a rental property because it has income. But now you don't have to pay for the um, repairs and maintenance and property taxes. And you get to amortize the cost of that royalty. So if you paid $150,000, this would be an expensive song or production for, for that. You would get to deduct $10,000 a month, a year for the next 15 years on but that $150,000 royalty would probably be bringing in almost $100,000 of income. Um, now, maybe not that much, but let's say $40,000 of income a year. You know, they're all priced differently. There's a whole market for these. But if you have someone that instead of, that has a chunk of money that wants to diversify their portfolio, they might want to invest in royalties because even if they, even if they target an 8% return on buying a, a music royalty, well, that's tax-free if they have that $70,000 loss for that mm-hmm. same taxpayer. So that's an example of a music royalty. There are other options like a business that you invest in that you're not what's called materially participating. So for instance, you, Nate and I start a car wash. 
Um, ah, let's say a hair salon. I don't have hair. We got to have one bald joke in here, right? So clearly you're the passive one. Exactly. Yeah. You and Nate are working in the salon. Mm. I'm not. I just put up some money. I get 10% of the profit, but I'm not materially participating. So that's passive to me. So if I can get a 10% return by investing in your business and I have these passive activity losses, then it's tax-free. And that's a great example too, to really draw the line between active and passive. I think that's a great example, right? Yeah. So if you if you invest in a trader business that you're not what's called materially participating, that's another show topic. And I would say definitely go to the Defeating Taxes Facebook page, defeatingtaxes.com, shameless plug, because we have a ton of resources and we can tell you what constitutes material participation. A lot of times someone, like when we talk about the short-term rental loophole, you want to be materially participating. Right. But in this tax strategy, you don't want to be materially participating. Right. And and it's a great opportunity, Chris, because the, the the very nature of passive income is you don't have to work at it. You may have to invest into it, but if all goes well, you recoup your investment and then some while working your day job, while sitting at home, while in retirement, while on the beach, whatever it is, that's why we purchase these. That's why we invest in these is because it is exactly that income that is passive. Exactly. And that's, that's the nine. So if you can obtain that income tax-free, that's even better. And you can really get into, um, so, so anything that's a rental property or something where you invest and you're going to get a K1 that has a box two income or loss is going to be in uh, passive income. And there are a lot of strategies. We're not going to talk about advanced tax strategies for multi-member LLCs, but let's say that, that John, you're a real estate professional and I'm not and we buy a beach house together. Um, you might want those depreciation deductions and I might not need them and they might not help me. So you could do special allocations within and out a limited liability company to benefit one person because you can, you're gonna have specially allocated expenses and in, in, in income versus the other. And that's where tax planning and strategy, that's why it's so important to live by our three laws of teaching tax flow and tax flow and cash flow are two different things in understanding that tax agencies are our involuntary business partners. So yep. we need a, we need to create our own operating agreement um, and or the IRS is going to pick your tax. And, and the laws are written to negatively or to punish kind of, for lack of a better term, someone that's a passive investor. Now, I would argue that having passive activity losses isn't the worst thing in the world in some ways, because tax rates are going to go up, but we typically want to take advantage of our deductions that we have as quickly as possible. And so, basically, the the one the one rule that's always going to be in place, right, is the uh, the IRS is always going to want more of the the piggy bank. There's another another one of my pig drops. So, but but a question for you too, Chris. So I, I don't know if honestly if we touched on this at all or, or started to, and then maybe deviate a little bit, but bringing it down a little bit to a, a little more of a more of an example or something that could happen, right? So say for example, you are a passive investor in a business. Say your partner is active. Say something happens, um, a life change for that individual over the course of say two weeks they're in the hospital. You have to step in and theoretically become active. Does that cause any issues as far as for down the road or does there really need to be that truly defined line in the sand between active 
and pass it. Well, unfortunately, the tax code is pretty complicated. And what we're talking about is not really active versus passive. What we're talking about is material participation. So there are seven distinct tests for material participation that if you have a business partner and you have to step in for a two-week period, most likely you're not going to have material, material participation in that short of a time frame. Mm. What the, the takeaways for the podcast would be if you have invested in, in different investments in real estate or, and you have passive activity losses and you want to utilize those, this is where you would want to hunt for pigs. Because you, in order to utilize those, you need to have passive income. And that's where this, you know, that's where, that's where hunting pigs gets, gets, uh, um, gets attractive because you've got, there's, there's a lot of people that don't, that don't, that understand that, yes, you, there are a lot of tax advantages for owning real estate. Some of them are just delayed a little bit. And so, Chris, the, the, the point I'm taking away is if I own one rental home and I've got losses, and I'm still interested in real estate, it might be worth looking for a house that already has a lease in place, a tenant, take the income right away, offset it with my existing rental home losses, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's where in some ways, the, the, a lot of things play a role. For instance, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're in a situation where you have um, a dec- you have a mortgage on your primary residence, and you have a mortgage on your rental property. Let's say they're the exact same amount and you want to pay one off. We're not advising you do this. And let's say they're the same rate and everything. In general, you're going to want to have the deduction on the rental property. Mm. But if you if the mortgage interest from the rental property is just creating a passive activity lot, a greater passive activity loss, you might want to pay off the rental property loan and take advantage of it, the itemized deduction. And that's yeah. where we're, we have a passion for creating an awareness and every, you know, every situation is unique and, um, but a lot of times people don't, don't even know, typically someone knows if they have a passive activity loss because they're typically surprised by it. They, they, and it can be, it could be frustrating. So let's take a negative and no positive and let's say, okay, well, let's look at some options for you to generate income that's tax free. And that's pretty attractive. Yeah. And, and Chris, what I love about having the opportunity to keep hanging out with you and to work with you as we build this and grow this, the wealth, and John, you can agree or disagree, the, the, the limited amount of hair, but the amount of knowledge that comes out of your head is, is outstanding. Um, and so when I look and say, man, if there's anybody that has questions that wants to pick Chris's brain. We offered it last time. John will offer it again this time. My email is nhamil at teachingtaxflow.com. If you have a question for Chris, email me. I'll get it in front of him. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do a podcast that's just us answering questions from people. Send those to me and we'll get them answered for you. Exactly. We are listening. We wrap up with our community. Any final thoughts? But I do want to mention one more thing too, Nate, just on the tail end of that one. So a lot of a lot of the questions we get around hunting pigs, and we're not talking, you know, like our our, our Texan friends and that are probably thinking we're we're shooting boar from a helicopter here. Um, or it's a little bit more strategic than that. Uh, a lot of these questions we do get asked on social and at events 
Um, and it, I, I know there's a lot of people come to us, right? And they're, oh, passive income generators. I know exactly what that is. But there is some depth and there's some strategy in this. So before we wrap up, I, I did just want to mention that. And then actually, I'll toss it back to you guys too for any final thoughts is mentioned. Um, but shoot us those messages on social. Shoot them over to Nate. Um, again, this is stuff that we could talk for hours. I say we, no, Chris could talk for hours on this. We just kind of moderate and keep him out of trouble. But yeah. there's a lot of not a gray area, but there's a lot of strategery. And there we go. We'll come up with another word in here that can be taken from this. So let's uh, let's wrap this one up. But again, before, do you guys have anything else we want to we want to jump in and add to this? I want to pick Chris's brain a little bit. Chris, off the top of your your head, in your brain, and maybe this is how you bring us home. What are the top three passive income generators in your opinion? In no particular order, I would say investing in some type of oil or gas. Those are, we always talk about, you know, a voluntary business partner, and there are certain industries that are fa tax favored. Oil and gas is one of them. Net, um, so, can tax, uh, oil and gas is number one, one of the three. Um, rental real estate is still another one, assuming that you can specially allocate or you don't have a mortgage on something or it's fully depreciated. Yeah. And then another one would be investing in a trader business that you that you're not materially participating in. Such as and that can kind of tie in. I'll give you let me give you an example. Let's say you have a taxpayer that has a has a child that's in in their in the in their college years and the taxpayer buys some personal property and that i.e. three vehicles and puts it up on Toro. Mm. And it generates a lot of income for that person, but they're not at, they're not really materially participating. The, all, that activity is being run by that person's child. That could be a pick, uh, a pick for that taxpayer. So um, those are my top. Uh, and obviously, you know, depending on the taxpayer situation, we're not saying we say don't let the tax tail wag the dog all the time. We'll bring a dog into this one, uh, into this this equation, but. Yeah, those are the top three. And and again, don't be afraid to to reach out to Nate. He has a wealth of knowledge himself. And um, we are listening and we are constantly growing this community and learning uh, what what is what everyone's looking for. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, thank you, gentlemen, for for joining us on this one. And I guess we should close it out with one more pig joke just for the fun of it. It's it's been a fun time collab bore aiding with you. So hopefully, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> enjoyed it as well, John, which yeah, I did. Um, and this is definitely something we'll be, we'll be touching on kind of over and over again as part of that strategy, right? Yep. Thank right. you guys. It was a pleasure and have a great rest of the day. Now I'm hungry. So we will see everybody next week. Um, keep on plugging away. I know we're, we're getting close to wrapping up Q1 here of 2023, believe it or not already. And we are good to go with this podcast and we will see y'all next week.